Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Alison Whitaker. Alison is a Gomorrah poet, lawyer and academic. From 2017 to 18, she was a Fulbright Scholar at Harvard Law School, where she was named the Dean's Scholar in Race, Gender and Criminal Law. Her second book, Black Work, which is brilliant, was released with Magabala Books in September 2018 and was recently shortlisted for the Prime Minister's Literary Awards. Alison performed this story at the Queer Stories crossover event with Archer magazine. I brought you here tonight, maybe not unusually for a queer storytelling event, something of a love letter. It's not to myself in the classic twist or to the tender glimpses of joy in oppression or to a first love, or even to my very hot and smart partner who hates attention, Vincent Bonanno, who I think is seated towards the back. (laughs) No. This is my little ode to Barnaby Joyce. (laughs) A man who is like an absent father figure to me. (laughs) And now many others. Weaving himself into my queer indigenous life at significant moments, only to disappear again and force me to grow. I grew up in Gunnedah and in the nearby city of Tamworth. I have acute memories of gawking through the windows of the Deputy Prime Minister's electorate office, ceremoniously bestowed the place next to the chip-in. It may not surprise you that sufferer of high blood pressure as I am, I regularly stood in wait out the front of the chip-in, purveyor of the finest potato scallops and most generously syruped slush puppies on Gomorrah country. (laughs) It was also across from the best local skateboarding park and accordingly conveniently close to the best place to get fingered and to find yourself... and to find yourself dusted with a fine glimmer of chicken salt. (laughs) At the time, Barnaby was a senator for Queensland. He bravely opposed the Gardasil vaccine to end cervical cancer because it would be an entree to sexual activity. (laughs) At 14 years old, I chewed that possibility over with some excitement as I waited in line at school to receive my three free horny shots. It was, disappointingly, not the feast that Barnaby promised. (laughs) After high school, Gardasild up, I finally grew sick of the established bisexual cycle of bleach hair, dye hair, hair breaks, shave hair, grow more hair to bleach, (laughs) and decided it was time to invest in a $20 purple wig I did not brush the wig. I did not wash the wig. (laughs) After two solid months of wear, I took that bad boy to an Indigenous Women's Summit to get empowered, and by then it was already pretty powerful. (laughs) We were shown around the hallowed halls of federal parliament, where I learned the colony loves a good carpet and marble pastiche. Barnaby saw me near the parliamentary cafe. He saw me up. He saw me down, and then he pulled that Barnaby face. He exposed a bit of the upper gum, 
without showing the bottom of his teeth, and it's hard to do if you have lips. <laughs> I felt suitably chastised, as one might by a queerphobic uncle. And because of that, the wig began to derive a new, more urgent pleasure. I wore that thing for six months as a rebellious act before underneath my hair formed one singular knot as thick as my arm. <laughs> it was back in Tamworth around the time that Barnaby was parachuted from the Senate to the local electorate of New England when I asked the corner store hairdresser to shave it off. She did, she gagged, <laughs> and I never went back to wigs or her. Barnaby was also there in the background of the beef politics by which my family of abattoir workers was governed. Those politics in rural New South Wales and Queensland came to define Australian law in trespass and in filming on private property. And that instinct for passing legal risk came in handy when I finally studied media law. I thought of Barnaby fondly as I picked up its small subtleties. Did you know, and this does not constitute legal advice, <laughs> that it is not generally defamatory to merely insult someone? So you could, for instance, freely call someone a fugly cunt, <laughs> a real torn gooch, or a tomato without much consequence. And if you were to call someone, anyone, say a racist, queerphobic, transphobic, sad squattercrat, whose head would pop like a grape if his hot bodybuilder ex-wife noogied him. <laughs> We're getting into a greyer area. <laughs> Eventually, this obviously remarkable legal prowess of mine, helped by growing up in Barnaby's colony, would take me overseas. But before it did, my partner and I had to clear one of the bigger challenges that Joyce had lovingly put in our way. It was mid-2017, not long before a certain postal vote, and I needed a spousal visa to bring the hottie up the back with me. <laughs> and so began our truly unfunnily humiliating journey of seeking advice, loopholes, and mercy for a ceremonial thing neither of us really wanted to do, facing down grimacing bureaucrat after grimacing bureaucrat. Vince and I were seemingly trapped between Commonwealth and New South Wales recognition of gender and between being considered a same-sex or an opposite-sex couple, apparently the only two options at law and apparently only one being marriageable at the time. Because gender in the colony is cool and normal like that and the colony's enforcement of borders is much, much cooler. Um, after a few months of loopholes, we did manage to get married at a Sydney registry. I don't know if you've ever been to a registry wedding. It's a queer stories gathering, so I'm going to assume most of you have. <laughs> we tried to cram my Gomeroy family and my partner's Sicilian one into a room that just before us held a Deliveroo guy in full riding gear as a witness. The ceremony went for 10 awful minutes. Afterwards, at a local pizza place, we tried to break the ice between our family's very distinct cultural and social and economic standpoints. 
His parents were part of the inner city local council politic. My parents hated voting and watching our rivers die. After a few minutes of polite tittering, what should unite our table but the delightfully loathed Barnaby Joyce, <laughs> the small center of this very niche Venn diagram? <laughs> Vince and I made it abroad with visas intact in time to watch the Section 44 Barnaby hold a press conference at Tamworth Lookout. To my delight, he stood with his back to the old spot many queers in town knew to be a nice place to discreetly pash by the sunset. And by a bootleg ABC stream in America, my walleye bar sick heart soared. Incomparable, special Gomorrah country with all its varied earths and hard grass floodlands spread out as far as the eye could see, as much as the eye could see around his big red noggin. I was enraptured as birds I missed, like siblings, circled. And by his right ear, I saw East Tamworth Mackers. <laughs> when I finally got back, Nen took me there for lunch. This was no poetic gesture. We were going to Hogsbreath, but another Barnaby press conference took all the good car parks. As we circled the block, my Nen used my partner's pronouns without prompting. We talked about Vince, who she regarded as a catch, freely and eagerly, something I had never been able to do with her for any of my prior relationships with people of any gender. We talked about love, what happened when the colony tried to take it, kids from parents, partners from partners, self from self, and what it meant to love boldly anyway. Her mum, my late pop, herself. All this new vulnerability and possibility stretched out before me like the road. The moment was lost on my unsentimental Len. On her last lap, she hurled out the window near our dear Barnaby, drinking coffee, Perk! <laughs> and we floored it through a red light. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so we can spread the word about these stories. Follow Queer Stories on Facebook for event updates and for gay shit and late night ramblings, follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter.